Welcome to Bible Study for Regular People. I'm Tana. Let's get started. So I'm recording this one on December 31st, 2021, last day of the year, last episode of this year, and this will be my 20th episode this year. So that's like an episode and a half per month average or something, which is, I think next year I'm going to shoot for 26. That's two episodes a month, um, or 24, two episodes a month. I'm thinking 26 every other week. Um, so sometimes I'll record these all in one sitting, which is what I'm going to do today, but sometimes I record them in pieces. I'll read just a Psalm and then a few days later I'll read a proverb and then maybe the next week I'll read the New Testament passage. And so I might be reading more often than I'm posting. Um, but I'm going to try to set a goal for next year to do between 24 to 26 episodes for 2022. Today in Psalms, we're starting a whole new section. So we finished a section of all of the Psalms written by or attributed to David himself. Now this section is Psalms attributed to David's music leaders. So David was a musician, and he had a lot of musicians, uh, let's just say, who worked for him, right? And these are their psalms. These 14 psalms, so this is a small section, and then I think that's, I think that's all of them. We're almost done with the book of psalms. I don't know what I'm going to break things up with after this. Uh, these are attributed to people that served under David during his reign, human Ethan and Asaph were Levites that served as musicians in the worship of the Lord. Some of these Psalms might have been written later by descendants of these prominent temple servants, but they're placed here chronologically because the, the Psalm name, uh, the Psalms name these men as their authors. So maybe not chronological time-wise if they don't know, uh, when these were written, but they can, they can, still go off some sort of organization method based on authors, what they're doing. So we're on Psalm 88. Last time I read Psalm 145, and that was the last one written by David. So now we're backing up to Psalms written by others, and we're going back to Psalm 88. The theme is, when there is no relief in sight, God understands even our deepest misery. This author is Heman, one of the sons of Korah, possibly the same man mentioned in 1 Chronicles 15, 19, 16, 41, and 25, 4 through 5, as a musician and the king's seer. So this guy has gotten a couple mentions elsewhere, at least they think it's the same guy. For the choir director, a psalm of the descendants of Korah, a song to be sung by the tune, the suffering of affliction, a psalm of Heman, Ezraite, Heman the Ezraite, verse one. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day; I come to you by night. Now hear my prayer and listen to my cry, for my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. 
You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. And that's it. If that wasn't the most depressing psalm I have ever read. So verse 15, he said, I've been sick and close to death since my youth. So this poor guy, Heman, must have had some sort of a disease or ailment that's plagued him his entire life. Plus, it sounds like some other stuff is going on. He's lost his relationships Verse 8 says, you've driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. So he's lost his friends. I don't know if the repulsive to them is something physical, part of his sickness, or you know what, sometimes people stay away from those who are depressed because they don't want to be around that. I don't know. But so he's now working for David as a musician. I guess David was the first equal opportunity employer, maybe, you know, because it sounds like he might be dealing with some sort of a disability or handicap or whatever, but he can do music. And what a deep, like, moving heart-wrenching poem this is. One thing I noticed that's very similar to David is he just lets himself feel it. And he just lets himself be very blunt with God. Verse 10, are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? And he's just saying, you know, I'm as good as dead. Right? He feels like his life is over. And he's wondering, what can God do for me? What can God do for anyone who feels like this right now? And he just lets that sit. He doesn't put a nice little bow on it. He does say, um, verse 13, O Lord, I cry out to you, I will keep on pleading day by day. He does say that despite all of this, he will continue to reach out to God. But he doesn't like wrap it up and 
put a band-aid on it be like yeah I'll be fine you'll take care of me it's all good you know everything's just fine he doesn't do that he's like no my life is horrible miserable darkness is my closest friend and then he just lets himself feel that and lets himself talk to God about it gosh this is really a powerful one in Proverbs we're in chapter 24 24 verse 1 so this is the last chapter in this chronological chunk of time that I'm in right now essentially I'm done with Proverbs for some time because I'm on page 663 in my little Bible here and chapters Proverbs 25 through 31 don't pick up until I get over to like page 839 so this will be it for a while right now this section of Proverbs as well as where we're reading in Psalms right now is all under one uh, chronological time period they've called the United Monarchy 1050 to 390 BC and after this it's going to go into uh, the Song of Solomon and then into the next section of time they called the splintered nation so right now everybody's under one king but then it divides and then it'll go into first second kings second chronicles isaiah jeremiah ezekiel isaiah amos jonah micah nahum habakkuk zephaniah those are all in the next section as well as the last few chapters of the book of proverbs so 20 4 verse 1 don't envy evil people or desire their company for their hearts plot violence and their words always stir up trouble a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense through knowledge its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables the wise are mightier than the strong and those with knowledge grow stronger and stronger so don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. Wisdom is too lofty for fools. Among leaders at the city gate, they have nothing to say. A person who plans evil will get a reputation as a troublemaker. The schemes of a fool are sinful. Everyone detests a mocker. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. Man, I need to read that one again. So this is verse 11 and 12. Rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. So, those who should never have gotten the death penalty. Save them as they stagger to their death. He's like, don't let this happen to them. Don't excuse yourself saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. 
Wow. My child eat honey. You know what? On that, that verse right there, he will repay all people as their actions deserve. That's one of the reasons I, as I get older, I'm more strongly, um, do not agree with the death penalty, <laughs> right? Like the older I get, the more I'm against it. God is the judge. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. I'm perfectly for someone being locked up the rest of their life, right? If, if they're that dangerous, they can't be in society, right? People need to be protected, but to end someone's life is different. So anyway, that's interesting. Verse 13, my child eat honey for it is good. And the honeycomb is sweet to the taste in the same way. Wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, you will have a bright future and your hopes will not be cut short. So there's more on wisdom again. First, it was that wisdom is strength. And now it says wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you have wisdom, you have a bright future and your hopes will not be cut short. I like that. I don't know how much wisdom I really have, but I like the uh, potential. <laughs> Verse 15, don't wait in ambush at the home of the godly and don't raid the house where the godly live. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't envy the wicked for their people have no future. The light of the wicked will be snuffed out. Again, God's saying, I'm the judge here. I got this. You know, our problem is we want, we want to see justice quick and, and swift and that's why we you know I think lose control of our our tempers or our mouths or make really stupid arguments because we want someone to we want them to get it right now we're going to convince them or you know we'll dole out all our <laughs> our punishment even though it might not be well thought out <laughs> anyway but God is the judge. Like it said earlier, he sees you. He knows you know. Verse 21, my child, fear the Lord and the king. Don't associate with rebels for disaster will hit them suddenly. Who knows what punishment will come from the Lord and the king. And the last little bit of Proverbs 24 here is sayings of the wise. And this is picking up in 23. Here are some further sayings of the wise. It is wrong to show favoritism when passing judgment. A judge who says to the wicked, you are innocent, will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nations. Yep. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, isn't that the truth? If people strongly believe someone is guilty and then they get off easy because like in, in 
in today's day and age, what often gets people riled up is someone gets off easy because they're white or they're wealthy or they're a celebrity or something like that. Oh, nothing, nothing makes people mad and get them riled up like that happening. It says, a judge who says to the wicked, you are innocent, will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nations. Yeah, that's still happening today for sure. 25, but it will go well for those who convict the guilty. Rich blessings will be showered on them. An honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. Don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them. And don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. Gosh, there's a lot here on taking justice into your own hands instead of letting it happen either by a judge or by God. Verse 30, I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. <laughs> the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A two-verse lesson here. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. And that is, <laughs> and that is how this ends. Alright, in the New Testament, last time we finished the book of 1 Thessalonians, and now we're in the second book to the same group. I'm going to go back and read the introduction to the first letter, and then read the introduction to the second letter, just to get my head into this time period here. So the first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul wrote this letter a short time after his ministry in Thessalonica to encourage the young believers there. He wanted to assure the Thessalonian believers of his love for them, to praise them for their faithfulness in spite of persecution, and to remind them of their hope in the return of Jesus, their Lord and Savior. As you read this letter, listen carefully to Paul's practical advice for Christian living. And I remember we revisited Paul's experience in the city of Thessalonica, and it was um, less than favorable. And he left after having a really hard time there, but he did leave some believers behind him and they hung on despite uh, ha facing a lot of criticism and, and having a really hard time just because of the faith that they had there. And so he wrote this letter to really encourage them. And the second letter, and that was... I think there was a time period on that. Uh, written around AD 50. Both of them. Paul writes letters to the church in Thessalonica around AD 50. So these two letters were within a year of each other is the guess. All right. Second Thessalonians. Effective communication can be difficult. Even when clearly written words can be misinterpreted or misunderstood, Paul faced this problem with the Thessalonians. Just a few months after he sent his first letter to Thessalonica, word came to him that some had misunderstood his teaching 
about the second coming. Some had taken his announcement that Jesus could return at any moment as a reason to stop working and just wait for Jesus to appear. <laughs> I'm laughing because there's been times throughout history where people continue to do that, like Y2K. People just sort of waited for the end of the world and, well, we're still here. Uh, responding quickly... Paul sent another letter to his young church. He addresses the misunderstandings and gives further instruction about the second coming. But the message is essentially the same as his first letter, a call to continued courage in the face of persecution and consistent Christian conduct as we wait for Jesus to return. I want to go back and read that section of the first letter and just refresh my memory. It was only a few verses. All right, so there was five chapters in the first letter and the end of times section is right at the tail end of chapter four. And now dear brothers and sisters, we want you, uh, this is chapter four, verse 13. And now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air when we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So I remember thinking about how he's saying everybody who's died before and everybody who's about to. It's it's it almost is like saying when someone dies, they get removed from the timeline. Right. And. Everybody, when they die, immediately meets Christ, but they're all together. So like if I died today, I'd meet Christ, but I'd also see people who died 200 years from now, theoretically speaking, right? And they died 200 years from now, but we're both meeting Christ at the same time. Like that's kind of what this sounds like. Anyway. All right. This is just fun stuff. I don't. I don't put a lot of, um, like, my faith doesn't depend on my belief system about the end of times in any way. I'm pretty open to hearing all kinds of theories about it because there's a lot of different places in scripture that talk about it and they come at it from a different perspective. They emphasize different things. And so what is it actually going to be like? You know, I mean, we, we can read what scripture says and we still don't really have a, a perfectly clear understanding. So, and I'm perfectly fine with that. That does not bother me at all. Like, I don't care that we don't know what happens. <laughs> we'll figure it out eventually. So anyway, all right. Second Thessalonians, uh, chapter one, verse one. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 
Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We pro proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. Again, again with God is the judge thing here. I think that came up in all three passages we've read today, even the depressing Psalm 88, verse 7. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels and flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power when he comes on that day. And he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. And this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read this section. Events prior to the Lord's second coming. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how he will be gathered and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for the day will not come until... There is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness, with an asterisk there, says some manuscripts read the man of sin. The man of lawlessness or the man of sin is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. When the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. All for us, we can't help but thank God for you. 
Dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, we are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy, and through your belief in the truth, he called you to salvation. When we told you the good news, now you can share the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and teachers, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wrongful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. By the Lord, lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they received from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. <laughs> Still happening. Verse 12. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warm them as you would a brother or sister. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Here's my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. I do this in all my letters to prove they are from me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. All right, now to get into some commentary. Here's a little bit of a trivia, I guess, on the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the capital and largest city of the Roman province of Macedonia. The most important Roman highway extending from Rome to the Orient went through Thessalonica. This highway, along with the city's thriving seaport, made Thessalonica one of the wealthiest and most flourishing trade centers in the Roman Empire. Recognized as a free city, Thessalonica was allowed self-rule and was exempt from most of the restrictions placed by Rome on other cities. Because of this open climate, the city had many pagan religions and cultural influences that challenged the Christian's faith. Chapter 1, verse 7 says, And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted, and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. The rest mentioned by Paul has two dimensions. We can rest in knowing that our sufferings are strengthening us, making us ready for Christ's kingdom. 
And we can also rest in the fact that one day everyone will stand before God. At that time, wrongs will be righted, judgment will be pronounced, and evil will be terminated. Referencing the second coming part of chapter 2, Paul describes the end of the world and Christ's second coming. He says that great suffering and trouble lie ahead, but evil will not prevail because Christ will return to judge all people. Although Paul presents a few signs of the end of times, his emphasis, like Jesus in Mark 13, is the need for each person to prepare for Christ's return by living rightly day by day. If we are ready, we won't have to be concerned about the preceding events or the timing of Christ's return. God controls all events. In the Bible, the day of the Lord, which is used in chapter 2, verse 2 here, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. The day of the Lord is used in two ways. It can mean the end times, beginning with Christ's birth and continuing today. It can mean the final judgment day in the future. Because some false teachers were saying that judgment day had come, many believers were waiting expectantly for their vindication and for relief from suffering. But judgment day had not yet come. Other events would have to happen first. All right, so here's a comment on the man of lawlessness. This is what I'm kind of excited to read and then I can throw out my own thoughts there. Throughout history, there have been individuals who epitomized evil and were hostile to everything Christ stands for. These antichrists have lived in every generation and will continue to work their evil. I thought that as well as I was reading the scripture. Um, there's been a lot of leaders throughout history that kind of fit what he described in their acts of evil and whether through words or deeds kind of indicated that they really felt they were gods or at least godlike um and there have been rulers who literally believe that they were gods um so i think it's really hard to point to any one person and be like oh that's them right this is the person living today it's the end of times well there's been others throughout history too, though. Then just before Christ's second coming, the man of lawlessness, the one who brings destruction, a completely evil man will arise. He will be Satan's tool equipped with Satan's power. This lawless man will be the Antichrist, the Antichrist with a capital A. It is dangerous to label any person as the Antichrist and to try to predict Christ's coming based on that assumption. Paul mentions a man of lawlessness, not so we might be a attempt to identify him, but so we might be ready for anything that threatens our faith. If our faith is strong, we don't need to be afraid of what lies ahead because we know that this lawless man has already been defeated by God. No matter how powerful he becomes or how terrible our situation seems, God is in control and he will be victorious. Our task is to be prepared for Christ's return and to spread the good news so that even more people will also be prepared. And I had the thought while reading this that in scripture, the word man is often used in more of a gender neutral context. I don't know if it is here or not, but what if the Antichrist is a woman? You know, we don't know. Could be. I've always pictured it, it as a man because of the way it's, it's written here, but could be a woman. You never know.
and I say that because the way man is used, like a reference to Adam and Eve, you know, man was created in God's image and I mean, Eve was too, you know, um, Christ came to save man from their sins. Well, he didn't come just to save men. <laughs> right? he, came, he came to save everyone. All men, women, and everybody in between. All right, moving right along. There's a lot to dig into here. Sorry, this is maybe going longer than I intended. Uh, chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. And you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Well, if that isn't mysterious, here's the comment on that about the one holding it back. What holds back the lawless one? We do not know for certain. Three possibilities have been suggested. One, government and law, which will help to curb evil. Two, the ministry and activity of the church and the effects of the good news. Or three, the Holy Spirit. Uh, my money's on the Holy Spirit. The Bible is not clear on who this retainer is, restrainer is, only that he will not restrain forever. But we should not fear this time when the restraint is removed. God is far stronger than the man of lawlessness and God will save his people. That's really interesting. Something is holding back the evil and there will come a day where they have to stop holding it back. And then basically all hell will break loose on earth. And then Christ comes and will destroy him. It's really creepy. And finally, to close out the book, last comment here, the book of Second Thess Thessalonians is especially meaningful for those who are being persecuted or are under pressure because of their faith. We are told what suffering can do for us, 2 Thessalonians verse 1. We are assured of final victory, verse 2. And we are encouraged to continue living responsibly in spite of difficult circumstances. 3. Sorry, that's chapter 1, 2, and 3. Christ's return is more than a doctrine. It is a promise. It is not just for the future. It has a vital impact on how we live now. Love it. And I'm going to leave this with Paul's closing words. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.